I was driving with my companion and I saw somebody walking along the side of the road and I only saw the back of their head, but I immediately knew who that person was and I felt the spirit say, there they are, you've got to talk to them. Hello, my name's Blair Murphy and this is The Bishop's Office, a podcast where I talk to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about their conversion, missionary service and life experiences. This week I'm speaking to Tom Rice about his mission in Auckland, New Zealand. I hope you enjoy it. Well, Tom, it's great to catch up with you and to speak about your mission. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, Well, why don't we start by you telling us where you served and, and when you served? I served in the New Zealand Auckland mission and I served from uh, February 1997 to uh, February 1999. Good vintage. Excellent. So where should we we begin? Um, Tell me a little bit about your childhood and and growing up. Was was serving a mission something that you always wanted to do? Uh, Yes. So I I grew up in a busy household. Uh, There was six of us for basically all of my younger life. And then I had a, another brother born once I was an adult, in fact, while I was on my mission. In answer to your question about a mission, I always wanted to serve one. I always looked up to the missionaries. I have come to understand that the mantle that the missionaries have uh, following their set apart is really something special. And it's something that I've reflected on. And interestingly, I have always thought of missionaries as older and wiser than myself, even when I'd returned from my mission, I still looked at them like that for years. Now that I've got grey hairs, things are changing a little bit, but uh, that's the, the way I've always looked at them. Where do you think this respect for missionaries came from? Did you have them in your home a lot growing up or was it just seeing them at church? Uh, we did. I, I saw, certainly saw them at church, but we also had them in our home. Uh, we were fortunate to have a tennis court when I was a, a kid and the missionaries would often congregated our house to play tennis back in those days. Um, Had them around doing that, but also had them in the home for dinner. Always loved hearing the stories and listening to them about them growing up. And I can still picture many missionaries uh, going back uh, many years and remember things that they said. But more than what they said, it was the spirit that they carried with them that uh, made me want to have that experience too. Were there particular people or experiences in the lead up to your serving a mission that that really ramped up your desire to serve? I think towards my mid to late teens, I went through my own little minor rebellions. Uh, I got quite cynical about a lot of things and I had a lot of attitude, had a bit of anti-authority approach to the way I dealt with teachers, church leaders, anyone. But that still didn't take away my desire to to go on a mission, but it just sort of made other people (laughs) wonder if I was going to, I'm sure. (laughs) But that being said, there was experiences I had after I finished school. I sort of had to map out my life and anything that I thought about that didn't have a mission just didn't make sense to me. Mm. And after I'd done my first year of university... I realized that I didn't have a plan for my life and that all roads were were pointing to I needed to serve the Lord and to to draw closer to to him to find out what my my plan was. And so you fill out your mission papers then. Talk to me about receiving your mission call. When I got my call, I've never been one to sort of be over enthusiastic, so I sort of play things down a bit. But I was happy that it said anywhere but Melbourne. (laughs) What was your aversion to Melbourne? 
I'm sure I would have loved it there, but <laughs> I, it was just a silly thought that I, you know, went the whole South Australia Victorian AFL thing, I think. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, well done. You, um, you didn't go to Melbourne. So were your family all around you when you opened the call? Do you recall what went down? Yeah. So uh, the, the, uh, well, the letter had come during the day. I don't think they were all around. I think I opened it with my mum. And I sort of just had a look at it and I just sort of smiled and go, good, because it wasn't Melbourne. <laughs> so uh, you must have gone to the MTC in New Zealand then. What was that experience like? Yeah, no, that was great. I, I did go there and it was at, uh, that was in the days of the Church College uh, mm-hmm. campus MTC, which I found very humorous because uh, I thought I'm going to another country where I don't know anyone. This will be overwhelming. I sort of met Met, met some of the missionaries the first night and then walked from the college dorms to the MTC and passed two people I knew from Adelaide uh, <laughs> way there. And I was like, and then they were like, hi, Tom. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's the Elder Rice. <laughs> <laughs> were they there for the temple? Because that's on the same, it was on the same grounds at the time, wasn't it? They had moved back to New Zealand. I didn't know they'd moved back, actually. So it was quite funny to see them there. And they're attending church college. Mm. Yeah, attending church college, that's right. And so um, you have, what, two or three weeks in the MTC? How did you um, find adjusting to missionary life? I should probably mention one thing in the MTC. I did need an attitude adjustment, and that that did come to me in the MTC. One of the things that I never liked doing was sort of big noting myself or, or things, and especially things when I didn't think I deserved something. And when I was in the MTC, we went out tracting one day and it, it so happened that I knocked on the door of someone who'd previously met missionaries and previously been taught but had never got baptised and then got to talking to them, found out they actually still wanted to be baptised, just hadn't done it and <laughs> got their referral details and everything like that and uh, came back with it. Now, everyone else in the MTC came back with their their war story in effect of, you know, being having doors slammed and all these sort of negative experiences and not meeting a whole lot of people who were interested. And I just felt that I didn't deserve to have that experience. And as a result, when we had the testimony meeting, I resisted getting up because I didn't want to make myself sound like I was better than anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the mission president's wife looked upon this a different way and she thought I was just procrastinating and uh, she uh, got up at the end of it and let me have it, not by name, but she was basically doing a fire and brimstone speech uh, and saying, we've seen procrastination here tonight. And there was there was only two of us that hadn't borne their testimonies. So <laughs> <laughs> funnily enough, the other guy also thought that she was talking to him, but I uh, I knew she was talking about me and, and me not sharing the experience because she wanted obviously wanted me to pump up the others with this good experience but I just didn't feel like I deserved it so I had resisted but that helped me have a bit of an attitude adjustment in taking into account what other people want and, and think in my decision making and not just consider it from a I guess a selfish point of view. Mm. That's pretty impressive because we don't always respond to the old fire and brimstone in a in a positive light. But I guess you took it as constructive criticism and considered not only, I suppose, what someone else might want in your decision making, but also potentially the uh, the purposes the Lord may have in um, giving you the experiences that you would have um, then and presumably throughout the rest of your mission. Well, tell me about your first area. 
so my first area was in the uh, North Shore of uh, Auckland. Uh, I had a companion who was one of these types who you could have seen as a future area authority or even higher. He could talk to anyone. He was completely on top of everything. He, he was his own leader at the time and then he, he became an assistant to the president. But he was one of these people who didn't prepare a talk but got up and then everyone was in tears and telling him how much they loved it. So he was, it was a bit daunting to be with him. We had a fairly wealthy area and uh, he used to uh, set me tasks like he'd hand me the map and say, well, Elder, where do you think we should track today? And I would look at the map not knowing anything about anything. And I remember distinctly <laughs> having this feeling very awkward one day, uh, pouring over the map, looking for some inspiration. And, and I was uh, not really getting anything. And uh, being new to, to all this, having, as I said before, resisted <laughs> a little bit in my teenage years. And I selected a street and said, how about this one? And he's like, oh, really? You want to go there? And I'm like, what? And he's like, that's like the rich street in the whole area and no one's going to be interested there. And I, was, I didn't have a very good attitude at this point and just said, well, why did you ask me to do this then? <laughs> but um, I had a really good role model in him to learn from. We had a, a tough area, but we still made it work. And we met people regardless of, of how wealthy the area was. And what my companion, I guess, introduced me to was taking advantage of every opportunity and lots of different types of opportunity to make sure that we could uh, share the gospel with as many people as possible. Well, as you think back on your mission, are there a couple of core experiences that you reflect on from time to time that you felt like were particularly potent for whatever reason? Mostly I just think about the people that I taught and engaged with and the experiences that I had with the spirit in helping those people. One experience that I had well, or one learning that I took away from my mission is that things happen in the Lord's time and what he's maybe asking me or somebody to do might be just one part of a journey for somebody. Whereas sometimes we feel like we have to see results or it's not worth it. And one, I had a couple of good experiences with this, actually many, but a couple of them in particular in my last area, when I was up in Whangarei, up, up north of Auckland, I uh, was driving up with my companion. I'd only recently moved up there and I saw somebody walking along the side of the road and I only saw the back of their head, but I immediately knew who that person was and that they were somebody that I'd taught in Auckland. And this was months ago, probably over a year before that. I just knew it was them. And we went past them and I pulled up the car and got out and said, hi, and what are you doing up here and all that. And they gave me their contact details and went around there and they said, oh, look, just like in Auckland, when I left, we're not really interested, but it's good to see you, you know, see you around sort of thing. But when I had seen them and recognised them, I felt the spirit say, there they are, you've got, to, you've got to talk to them. Now, the result of talking to them wasn't, yeah, come, <laughs> this is great, uh, I need, uh, I'm ready. It mm. was good to see you, but not really interested. And that sort of puzzled me. However, I was in that area for eight months and over that eight months, I saw them a few times, but they didn't progress in any way while I was there. And from time to time, I thought, why was it that I had that impression that I needed to speak to them if it was going to lead to what it seemed like a waste of precious time 
that you have while you're serving on a mission. And I got the answer to that probably two or three months after I got home from my mission. I got a, a letter from the lady and she told me that just after I'd left, she'd had a dream. And in that dream, her parents who were dead had said to her, look, you've had missionaries coming and talking to you a number of times now and you, you haven't done anything about it. We need you to do the work for us, to go to the temple. Now, she was sort of vaguely familiar with some of this, but she didn't know how any of it worked. And she responded to that spiritual experience she had. She uh, went down to the church in in Whangarei and uh, asked for me there. Of course, I wasn't there, but uh, the next set of missionaries were there and, and they knew me and so they could have a bit of a connection through that and she got baptized. The other experience I was going to tell you was just similar to that another lady before I met her we were going tracting one day also up in Whangarei and I drove past a street and I looked down the end I think my companion was driving and I looked down the end and I just had this feeling of understanding or knowledge that there was a person in a house on the end of that street and I I said I just said to my companion who lives in that house over there and uh They'd already tracked the street and he said, oh, that's, that's Polly. Have, haven't been able to catch up with her for a while. And I, I said, all right, well, let's do it now. Let's act on, on, on this prompting I'm getting. So we went down there and she wasn't home. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, next time we were in that area, I'd try it again, not home. And uh, next time again, tried, not home. But then another time I tried and... Again, not home, but as I was leaving, a car passed us the other way. And I'd never met her, but as the car passed back, as we were sort of heading the other way on the street, I just knew that that was her. So I sort of stopped and watched her pull into the driveway. And my companion, who was a new companion by this time, he's like, uh, what are you doing? Uh, so I said, well, we're just going to go talk to this person. She's on the, uh, the contact list from previous missionaries. So we went up to talk to her. And unlike the other lady, her response was, Elders, I've been waiting for you to come back for so long. And then we, we were able to teach her and, and her and her children all joined the church and her ex-husband actually also joined the church as well. And it's, it's amazing that through that experience, her son went on a mission to Canada, uh, which, was, which was awesome. So that was, uh, I guess, another one of those experiences where sometimes the spirit just gives you information. And although the timing that you expect doesn't play out. The Lord has it all in hand. That's so awesome. I love those experiences. You know, we craft a narrative, don't we, an expectation around this prompting, don't we? And we deal with a bunch of things, priesthood blessings, patriarchal blessings, you know, um, and other promptings that we say, you know, based on this small slither of information that I've received from the Spirit, I think this is how it's going to go, right? Um, yeah, it doesn't meet that expectation. We're a little bit perplexed, but um, there's a couple of great examples there where you were blessed to see the forest for the trees, I suppose. Um, did you have any experiences where you saw the gospel really change someone's life, their character, I guess, as you were teaching them the gospel? Yeah, I've seen some great changes in people who, who changed so much that it was beyond comprehension of people that they knew. Uh, a guy named Atapol, you know, he lived out in West Auckland, 
when I met him, it was the second time I'd come into Henderson Valley Ward and he had been taught by the missionaries but wasn't ready to give up a few things. And he'd been around a while, but wasn't quite ready yet to get baptised. His partner was a member. They had a couple of kids, but they needed to get married. Now, her to-be husband was very different. He was the local cool guy. He was the local street fighter. Uh, When anyone had a problem with, with the fight, they would call this guy. And he told stories of running to Auckland City from West Auckland just to help out some friends who were going to have a punch up. (laughs) He had this uh, fearsome persona of being this guy who uh, was an all-out fighter when he was younger. Uh, Everyone knew this guy. All the church members knew him. They'd sort of been friends with him as a kid and they'd called on him from time to time to get him out of a spot of bother. But years later, this guy, his partner is is a member. He's been taught the gospel and has warmed to it by the time I've met him, but hasn't made those changes. Now, one thing that that he said to his wife when he found out about that families could be sealed and could be together forever, because he felt the spirit strongly about this, and he said to her, would you want to be married to me forever? And she said to him, if you'd asked me that a few months ago, I would have said no way. (laughs) This is despite the fact that they've been together for years with the kids. <laughs> but she said, I've seen you change as you've been meeting with the missionaries. And now I think maybe. And this sort of gave him some courage to, to keep making the changes he'd been making. And it wasn't, wasn't too long after that that they went down to the registry, they got married. But the biggest shock <laughs> was when we brought him to church. <laughs> And there was people in the ward who were just like, we know this guy. (laughs) He can't be a member of the church. (laughs) And there was just this real resistance to these great changes that this guy had made and and this resistance to uh, accepting that it could be real. It was really quite, you know, we had to almost do a little bit of softening work with the members to just say, (laughs) no, no, this is legitimate. This guy, (laughs) he means everything he's saying and it was just great because we'd uh, we'd go out on trade-offs with him and visit members and <laughs> some of them would be shaking their heads and laughing and saying I can't believe that you're here visiting me <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have a couple of good examples of this in people there's a lady in my first area who when we first met her she was a member of a, a Christian church but she had heard lots of things about our church and they weren't positive and she'd been told to be very wary and to stay away from the missionaries and and members of our church. She came and stayed with a recent convert when she was going through some very difficult times in her life, and so that probably made her a bit more emotional and and, and combative as well. And when we were visiting that other member, she'd actually sit in the other room and sort of make comments in the background about things that we said, like negative things, and... (laughs) And, and this would amuse us. And, you know, one day sort of on the way in past, we said, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, oh, no, thank you, was what she sort of said. Not interested. And we're like, okay, well, feel free to join in any time. We'd sort of say nicely back to her. But then sort of a couple of weeks later, we were, we were visiting again, she actually came out of the room because she'd been listening for our various previous visits, just not participating. And, and she came and joined us. And 
it was like a weight had been lifted off her. She, she'd come to understand that we were talking about the saviour and it was her saviour. And she identified with that and she wanted to be involved because she was going through some hard stuff and she wanted to understand more about him. So, so we were quite surprised from how she was at behaving to, to this uh, entrance into our discussion. Uh, and we asked her, would, you know, would you like to learn more? And she was like, yes, set up an appointment. And uh, we thought, well, this is, this is really interesting, you know, going from what she was hating us basically to wanting to talk to us. Mm. Uh, and then as we shared the discussions with her, I felt prompted at one point to just really emphasize how much her savior loves her. And I sort of just said that and, and stopped the lesson and repeated it. And it was, I guess at, at that point that she really dropped her guard and she was just in tears and she just was saying, really, he really does. And, and we were just giving her that reassurance. And it was a great feeling in that room as the spirit bore testimony of, of the Saviour's love for, for her. And that was really, uh, I guess, a big changing moment for her in her life. Mm, that's such a cool experience. Are there any other experiences from your mission that come to mind that you, you want to share at this time? Um, one of the general things that I learned from my mission is that from being around all the different missionaries and members, I came to learn that any of God's children are capable of becoming members of the church and becoming servants of the, the Lord or, or loving the Lord and changing their lives to be a part of his plan. I met people of every different personality type and I believe that everyone is capable of faith and hope and, and love as a result of that. And one thing that I learned is that there isn't a prototype or a you have to be like this guy to love and be loved by the Lord. He wants every one of us with our individual talents and differences and quirks and that we are all capable of being that someone who is part of his plan. It's not something that's just for a person like this. Mm. It's anyone can do it. It really is a, a perfect, all-encompassing plan. What are some of the blessings that you've seen from serving a mission since coming home? Um, one of the great blessings is you just get such a variety of knowledge and experience of the way things work. A mission is a great opportunity to stand back and observe how people live their lives without having to do it for yourself, which I think gives you such an advantage because you're going through and talking to so many different people and it helps you understand, I think, the way things work and, uh, and, and then helps you to be able to make decisions about how you want to live your life as a result because you've seen the consequences of people's decisions, all sorts of decisions, good and bad or, or neutral when it comes to occupations and things like that. It's a very daunting for a, a person leaving high school to be asked, what are you going to do with your life? And for them to actually really understand that whatever it is that they've put down in as their preference for uni or TAFE or whatever is really actually what they want to do. It's such an advantage going out there and seeing all that, but having a different purpose really puts everything else in perspective in my view of how you can live your life afterwards. One of the things that I recall when I was 
you know, 19 and preparing to go on a mission is it felt like I was making, you know, a, a big sacrifice to leave my friends and life and, and studies and, and all of those sorts of things to go away for two years, which felt like such a, a long period of time. What would you say to someone who might have been in a similar position to I was at that time or, or might be in two minds about serving a mission? <laughs> I love what President Hinckley said, that two years is a tithe on your life thus, thus far. The Lord doesn't ask much. He just asks for... 10%. And uh, at that point, you're at a place where the world is sort of opening up to you, but it's a bit uncertain. A mission is a great time to stop worrying about that side of the worldly things and start worrying about the Lord's plan and where you fit into it, because uh, that is how you should be concerning yourself with the rest of your life, not necessarily what's my study choice going to be, what's my occupation. When you put the Lord first, I think everything else falls into place. And I've seen the blessings of that in my life as I've reflected on decisions. I have had ideas of my own of things like careers. I always wanted to be a lawyer, for example. And I knew that that's a lot of study and that if I go on a mission, that puts me at a disadvantage in my mind compared to everyone else. However, what I saw was uh, when I finished year 12, I didn't get into law because I missed the cutoff mark. I then had a plan to get in via a year at uni. But although I passed everything, I was not making <laughs> any headway in towards uh, getting the credit average what you needed to get into law. And I think I mentioned at the start that all roads suggested were pointing towards I need to go on a mission and work things out. Uh, and I found that when I got back, Sure, I was two years older than some of the kids around me, but I was at a huge advantage in terms of my understanding of what I wanted in life, what I needed to do to get there, and how the Lord would assist me. I would say that when I have made decisions with the Lord, things have fallen into place for me and have made decisions that much easier. Well, Tom, thanks for taking the time. It's been really great to hear about your, your mission in Auckland. Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing about Tom's experiences in New Zealand. I particularly loved how we could see the Lord's hand in the lives of those people that he felt prompted to contact and to watch out for. That's all I have for you this week. Until I speak to you again next time here in the Bishop's Office.